let me start off by saying good morning. morning. If uh, the service were to conclude even right now, uh, my heart would be full. Um, But I do want to preach, so... uh, (laughs) But congratulations to those who were baptized and to the parents of Uh, the child who was baptized, and congratulations to the church as well. Uh, Thank the Lord for uh, such uh, baptisms. That is a good thing. Amen? Amen. And we, while that is a normal practice of the church, we should not assume that that is happening as often as you might think in certain churches. So when that happens, we should definitely praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. It is good Uh, to be back, and this time I have my family with me, and just, yes, yes, thank you, and just in case you care, uh, May is right around the corner, and uh, so we will be here full time, and let me say that we are looking forward to it, so Thank you again, and thank you to everyone, of course, who has helped uh, with the transition and uh, everyone who is doing all that they can to serve my family and I in light of this process. It's not easy, of course, uh, but thank the Lord. I thank the Lord. We thank the Lord uh, for how you have served us. Amen? Amen. Before we uh, read this portion of Scripture, the passage for this morning, Let me say, uh, just right off the top, the passage that we will uh, feast upon uh, this morning, uh, it's one ultimately of hope. It's one ultimately of hope uh, and victory as well. But it is a hope and victory that is set in the midst of despair and uh, defeat. So the prophet is encouraging the people in light of their difficult uh, circumstance. So that's just a little lay of the land. Uh, But that being said, if you are physically able, if you arise with me for the reading of the Lord's word. title for this morning's message is Looking to God in the Midst of Ungodliness. Looking to God in the Midst of Ungodliness. And if you'd like, you can also add to that term ungodliness, looking to God in the midst of hopelessness, looking to God in the midst of defeat, Uh, whatever it may be, we should look to God. I'll read this passage in your hearing, and then I will pray, and then right after I pray, you can take your seats. The word of the Lord comes from Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. The word begins, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat. 
no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well, the prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Thus ends the reading of the Lord's word. Father, we come now. We come in the name of our Savior. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us through this word. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. May our hearts be softened and may we be molded by your word. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to spend a little time in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Let me give you the, the good news uh, right off the top and in a nutshell. Though ungodliness may seem to prevail all around us, there will be a day and time where godliness itself prevails. 
In other words, if you are tired of seeing injustice, if you are tired of seeing violence, if you are tired of poverty and, and wickedness and the results and consequences of sin, know that in the end, there will be a day where godliness and justice and holiness will prevail. Now let me give you a little idea of what I mean by this phrase godliness. And I take it from verse number two where it references that the godly has perished. In the days of Micah and even prior to his day, for a person to be godly, uh, again, in a nutshell, simply means that this was a person whose faith and trust was in the one true God, and as a result of that faith and trust, they did what they could to live according to the covenant, according to the law. Again, a godly person in these particular days was one whose faith and trust was in the one true living God. And as a result of that faith and that trust, they did all that they could to live according to the covenant. Now, for our day, we have a fuller understanding of this particular term. And we got a glimpse of that in our New Testament reading. For great is the mystery of godliness. And then it proceeds to talk about Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ is the personification. He is godliness in the flesh. And we find our godliness in him. And as we trust him, as we love him, we try to work out this godliness in our actions toward our neighbors. So that's, in a nutshell, what I am thinking and what I am referencing as it relates to this term. But that being said, let's take uh, a closer look at portions of this text. It is a, uh, an interesting text, and again, as I said up front, uh, ultimately it has to do with hope uh, and victory, but you have to go through some difficulty to get there. For example, in verses 1 through 6, the prophet uh, starts off with a lament. Uh, and, 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 and this, is, this could be Micah speaking for himself. This could be Micah speaking as a representative of the people as a whole. But either way, the prophet starts off with a woe is me. And this is not uh, a woe oracle in the sense of woe, destruction is on the way. Yes, that is a part of it. But this prophet is affected by the injustice and the wickedness, the ungodliness that he sees all around him. 
verses 1 through 6, again, is a prophetic lament. And he gives an, an agricultural analogy. For example, in verse number 1, For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no custard to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. He's imagining going through a fruit field, and there's no fruit. It's like going to the grocery store, and there's no groceries. Going to the bookstore, and there's no books. Going to the airport, and there's no airplanes. In the promised land, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, it was supposed to be a land that was also filled with righteousness and holiness and godliness. And yet, the prophet says that not only in the land, but the earth Altogether, there is no righteousness. There is no godliness. There is no godly person that can be found. It is a dire scene that is being described in these first six verses. As a matter of fact, and I won't necessarily read over it, but in verses two through four, it talks about the ungodliness of those in power, the princes and the judges. Folks who were supposed to execute justice and do right by the people. And yet, these were folks who were taking bribes. In verses 5 and 6, it talks about the ungodliness that existed amongst the most intimate of relationships. A father against a son. A mother against a daughter. Spouses against one another. In other words, ungodliness and wickedness was all around. And this affected the prophet greatly. This is what leads, in essence, to the woe is me. Now, let me pause there for a second. And let me, let me ask and let me suggest and, and I think this could be done from various portions of Micah, but we get a sense that Micah and the prophets before him were folks who were drastically affected by injustice and sin and wickedness. In other words, it affected them. And the question becomes, does it affect us? And by affecting us, what I mean is when you see injustice, wherever it may be, whether it's in your household, whether it's in society, whether it's in the church, wherever it may be, does that cause you to lament? It's a dangerous place for God's people to be numb to injustice. It's a dangerous place for God's people to be nonchalant about ungodliness, of course, in our own lives, but wherever we may see it. And I say to you this morning that the prophet himself is affected. He's affected by the foolishness, the ungodliness, 
And I would challenge myself and I would challenge you as well. I would ask us to ask the Lord Almighty to burden our hearts. To, 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 to cause us to lament ungodliness wherever we may see it. Not just, again, in my own household. I only care whether or not my children are, are walking in the ways of the Lord. No, 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 no. Wherever we may see it, may it affect our hearts and it may it affect our minds as it did the prophet. Now, this is the difficulty that the prophet has to go through before he lands in a place of hope. Verse number seven begins uh, the prophetic hope of the prophet and of the people. It says in verse number seven, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. That's good news, by the way. The fact that the prophet could find a place of hope in light of all of the wickedness, in light of all of the ungodliness, the fact that the prophet can find an avenue of hope in God is good news. Now, at face value, this prophetic hope uh, seems passive. What I mean by that is the prophet has done the prophet's job in declaring where the people have fallen short and calling them unto repentance, but there's only so much the prophet can do. And the reality is the horrible state of Israel, the horrible state of creation will take the acts of God himself to fix and to redeem. The prophet had done all he could do. And yet he finds himself in a place where he simply has to wait for God to move and to act. Let me tell you this right quick. Uh, we almost missed our flight here. We thought we did everything right, as in me and my family. We packed up the night before and tried to get to bed on time because we had to get up super early. Uh, Stephanie and I, we got up before our alarms went off at 345. We got the kids up at 4. The flight was at 6. Boarding time was at 5.20. We thought we were making good time. And, and by the way, I told a couple of you all this, by the way, but nonetheless, we, 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 we're, we're on our way to the airport. And the section we go in, and I don't know if you're familiar with Louis Armstrong Airport, but we go in and we see all of these different airlines, their spirit, there's JetBlue, there's American Airlines, and their lines aren't terribly packed. We could have just walked in, got in line, boom, we would have been at the gate just like that. But Delta has its own section. <laughs> and we hadn't gotten to that section yet. And it's, it's roughly 4, 440, somewhere there about, right, boo, somewhere around the, uh, that time. And as soon as we turn that corner, we see a line that just, Lord have mercy. <laughs> we thought we did everything we could do. We thought we did everything we could do. And the first words out of my mouth, we're going to miss this flight. 
and our moods are sullen. And, 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 and without over-exaggerating, there had to be roughly uh, anywhere from maybe 50 to 75 people in line at 4.40 a.m., and a number of them had multiple pieces of luggage. And so we're in the back of the line, and again, we're, we're just sullen. The kids, they're starting to ask questions. Be quiet. We're, we're, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sit still. We're in a bad mood just like that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, who do I need to call? Uh, let them know we're going to be late. Uh, I'm trying to think of all of that. Out of the blue, God's providence, but out of the blue, a guy walks up to us from behind. I didn't see him. Uh, he comes up from behind me and says, hey, sir, do you want to check in at curbside? And I says, I said, look, sir, we're about to miss our flight. Our flight is at six. Boarding time is here in a few minutes. Uh, is this going to help out? He said, uh, Give me, your, give me your information. I got you. And he runs outside, prints off the tickets, does all that stuff, brings our stuff. And then he says, you're good. Head to the line. <laughs> when, we were at, when we were despairing and there was nothing that we could physically do to get to the front of that line, to get on the plane, God himself came through in the clutch. <laughs> and Micah and the people of his day, they are in a place, things are so bad, things are so terrible that there's nothing they can do to get to a place of redemption, to get to where they need to be. It would take an act of God himself. And as a result, the prophetic hope is one in which he is looking to God. Again, verse number seven, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Amen. Now, let me say this and let me apply this particular point. It's important for us to remember that when it comes to restoration, whether it's restoration from ungodliness, restoration from brokenness, restoration from uh, sin, restoration from, from uh, whatever it may be that's contrary to God, there is only so much that you and I can do. Amen? There's only so much that we and our feeble abilities can do when it comes to redemption and things spiritual. It takes God Almighty. And brothers and sisters, of course, do not hear me saying that we are to be passive when it comes to seeing injustice, when it comes to ungodliness, when it comes to wickedness and brokenness. We do what we can. But if you and I are not looking to the Lord in the midst of this, we are setting ourselves up for failure. The prophet looks to the Lord, and so should we. Amen? 
in verses 8 through 10, there's, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, there's somewhat of a competition, a competition going on here. The prophet and the enemies of the prophet. For example, beginning in verse number 8, he says, uh, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Now, at face value, at face value, we can talk about the enemy being the Assyrians or the Babylonians or anyone who stands contrary uh, to God or to God's people. But nonetheless, there are times where it seems as if the enemy, whomever it may be, ungodliness, injustice, wickedness, it may seem as though these people or these things have the upper hand. And it may seem as though God's folks get the short end of the stick. You look around, Lord, I'm praying, I'm attending church, I'm faithful in X, Y, and Z. Why am I struggling with this illness? And then we look out into the world and we see folks who care nothing about God. We see folks oppressing the poor. We see all of these things, and yet... They seem to be doing well. Sometimes there will be scenarios where wickedness, ungodliness, injustice seems to be winning and God's people seems to be losing. And as a matter of fact, we see this uh, in its perhaps most powerful form with Christ upon the cross. Here is the son of the living God with whom there was no sin. All the things he did, all the things he said were right and just. He followed the ways of the Father. He fulfilled the law. He healed the sick. He was with the poor. He was with the outcast. He challenged injustice. He did all of these wonderful and great things. And yet he finds himself upon a cross, reserved for cursed criminals. It seems as though the enemy was winning, and it seems as though God's person was losing. But of course, we know that wasn't the case. Amen? Amen. Now, before we get to this final part, uh, what is the posture of the prophet? What is the posture of the people in light of the enemy seeming to be on top? You'll see this in verses 8 and 9. Uh, the posture is one, uh, and I won't go over all of the aspects of the verse, but the posture is one of confession and repentance. In other words, Micah doesn't simply say, you know what, our enemies, they are uh, in a better position than us. It seems as though we are down, we are out, we're in darkness. They seem to be in light. Let's, let's battle against our enemies. Let's take them on. Let's fight them. No, 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 no. Because the prophet knows and sees the hand of the Lord behind this all, he takes the posture of repentance and confession. Lord, we are struggling. We are down and we are out. And we know, as it relates to Micah's case, a lot of this had to do with the result of their own sins. 
their failure to trust God and to walk in his ways. And so they don't necessarily have their eyes on the enemies, per se. They're slapped around by the Assyrians. They might be slapped around by the Babylonians. They might be slapped around by whoever. But instead of taking them on, they go to God, who is over all. And they say that they will wait on God. God will bring them out of darkness. God will bring them into the light. And let me say to you and I, brothers and sisters, when we see injustices, when we see ungodliness, when we see the results of such, whether it's in society, whether it's our own hearts, whether it's in the church, you know, what is the posture that we take? Sure, we should lament these things. That's not enough. We must be prepared to repent of any sin that we may have. We must confess any role that we might have played when it comes to oppressing, oppressing our neighbor or sinning, of course, against God. So let me suggest again that in light of the difficulties that we might face as a result of ungodliness, where is the place of confession and repentance in your life? This last point, and I'll be quick with this one, verses 11 through 13, the prophet's proclamation of future restoration. In other words, the prophet, in essence, is saying that although we are desolate, although things are not very well for us, although our land will be destroyed and messed up and, and, and the enemies will have a time of, of reigning, so to speak, there will be a time in which our walls will be rebuilt our land will be restored. The people who have been dispersed will come back. And not only that, but the oppressors, those who are doing injustice, though they reign now, they will fall. God's people who may be down and out now will one day be up and in good shape. The oppressors and the ungodly and those who are, are, are outside uh, or have no desire and wish not to follow in the ways of God, though they may be up now, there will be a day in which they will be down and out. In other words, the prophet is saying there will be a reversal of fortunes because God Almighty is in control. I won't belabor this point. But I'll, I'll simply say this to you. Christ, if we are to fast forward, Christ makes it possible for us to have hope and victory in the midst of despair, in the midst of defeat, in the midst of trial, in the midst of ungodliness, injustice, all of this stuff that we see, all of the foolishness, turn on the TV, read the papers, get on social media, you will find craziness everywhere. And for some of us, we don't have to look outside of ourselves. Can I get an amen? 
but what or who makes it possible for us to live and to have hope and to have victory and to have joy in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this injustice and all of this mur- all of the murder all of the crime all of the poverty all of the bribes what whom affords us hope that is Christ Jesus the lord jesus is the one to whom we are called to look. He is the one to whom we are called to trust. He is the one to whom we are called to follow in the midst of all that we see going on. And let it be known that following him doesn't guarantee smooth sailing. Following him doesn't guarantee uh, absence of heartache and pain. But upon the word, upon the word of God, I stand as a minister of the gospel. And while I cannot promise you good health and Cadillacs and all of that kind of stuff, I can promise you victory in the name of Jesus. I can promise you hope in the name of Jesus. I can promise you salvation in the name of Jesus. So despite what we see going on, despite ungodliness, despite foolishness and wickedness, let us be encouraged by the prophet. He encouraged the people in his day that there will be a reversal. Godliness or ungodliness, it's having its time but its time will be short. Godliness and victory will come. And let us take great joy in that. And it will become because of what Jesus has done for us upon the cross. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless your most holy name. We thank you as we looked at the words of the prophet. And Father, we confess even now that we see ungodliness, we see uh, injustices, we see uh, reasons to despair, we see defeat uh, all around us. We see it uh, in society, we see it in, uh, even in the church, and we see it in, uh, in, in, even in our own heart. But Father, we are so grateful to know that because of Christ, The ungodliness that now exists will one day cease to exist. We take great joy that in Christ, justice will reign. Godliness will be prominent. Victory will be final and eternal. Thank you for this good news. And help us to hold fast to this good news when we are tempted to say woe is us. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for his work upon the cross. We look forward, Father, to the day in which he returns to make all things new. Until then, Father, may we look to Christ. May we follow Christ. 
And as we do, Father, may we take great joy in that. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.